0: Good morning, series, victory, part one, the promise of Jesus. Let me break it down first in this way as we begin to look. Here it is in Montgomery, Alabama, across the globe. It's Easter once again. Go to Walmart, go to your store of choice, wherever, go to the marketplace, and you will see the vivid, bright colors of Easter, eggs, clothing, all kind of apparel, candy, oh man, we love that, chocolate bunnies. Open up magazines, you'll see people displaying what's happening at their church, their local house of worship, the cantatas, the different events that are going on for the season. It's, it's all in the air, and it's hard to believe. In just a matter of a few weeks, we'll be right upon Easter once again, but if you'll look at John 13, I said go to 14, but if you'll turn over one chapter, you see there John 13, there's a powerful story here, because This is the last night in the life of Jesus Christ, right before the crucifixion, right before the flogging, the betrayal, right before uh, Christ giving up his life as a ransom for many, as the scripture tells us in depth. Here he is, Jesus Christ is entrusted with a mission from God the Father, his Father, to come and to be a lamb of glory, to be of the servant of man and how he did it with such excellence. And this is no normal Passover meal. This is a Passover of Passover meals. And in this, they were reclining in the upper room and they were having their opportunity there in Jerusalem. And Jesus, on that night, walked over to the table with his disciples there reclining. He had something that he wanted to do. He took the towel and he wrapped it around his waist. And then he took the water into the bowl. what did he do he did that act that slaves weren't even always made to do this certainly his compadre his colleagues his disciples he wouldn't they wouldn't expect this but jesus christ came not to lord his position his godhead over man he came simply as a servant i'm holding this towel today and i'm reminded of one of the first messages probably the second third message i ever preached in my life I taught many, many studies and retreats, but as I was becoming a pastor to teach and preach the word of God, not only on student arenas, I remember I had an assignment from school and I was assigned John 13 and I titled that message real original, take the towel and go. And as I just looked down, I remembered back many years ago as I began this journey, this quest of being a preacher, but Jesus began to wash the feet of the common Guys called disciples that sat around and listened to his instruction. They were confused that night. They were perplexed. I I find when I read the Gospels that the guys had a lot of times of confusion and being perplexed. Jesus had a way of doing that with people. I even find today that Jesus perplexes us with some of the things that he does and he asks us. But here he is. He's there and he identifies the one that will betray him. And he says, and go and do quickly, Judas. And Judas sold Jesus out. And I've often thought that we always want to nail Judas and talk about he sold out Christ, but do we sell him out for something far less or something in our? But Peter, the Gospel of John records that John, that Peter sees this as an opportunity to brag about his position, about his love for the Savior. He says, Oh Lord, I would never be like Judas. I'll never deny you Jesus. Oh, really, Peter? before the cock crows three times, you'll disown me. And he did. And I'm sure Peter tucked his head between his legs and he went quickly. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated. He did just what the Messiah said he would do. These other disciples, they weren't a lot better. The Bible says they scattered like sheep. They were stunned about the discourse, about the teaching of Jesus. And today, the body of believers many times scatters when christ calls us and commands us to do things but we'll see how we have a way because jesus leaves it in the hands of the 12 that grew to 11 you didn't get it but that 11 group of motley crew of disciples he left his mission from on high in their hands and they got it and they propagated the gospel of grace Oh, they had failures, and they had mistakes, and that's not the point of this message. But they got out the Word of God. In John 13, 1, written there across the top of your notes, it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and then to go to the throne, to go to the Father. I want you to write this down. The promise of Jesus is for you. The promise of Jesus is for you. I want us to internalize it. The promise of Jesus is for for me. Would you repeat that with me? The promise of Jesus is for me, for me personally. That's a question the church loves to ask. What about me, Jesus? What about me in church? All about me. Oh, makes me sick. But Jesus was concerned about you and me because he gives us life up. And Jesus, what about me? Well, Jesus has an answer. And today, I'm going to get there in a few moments. I'm just trying to get you to, to run it around in your brain, and your heart, and go, what about me? Does Jesus care about me? Oh, with great assurance and confidence in the Messiah, I assure you cares about you. When I was in seminary at Emory in Atlanta many years ago, they taught us something. They go, every preacher should learn to summarize his message in one sentence. Now, that's very hard for a bunch of guys that are studying the Word of God to summarize in one sentence because at the same time in seminary, they go, now I want you to take this passage of Scripture and I want you to exegete it and I want you to write me a 20-page paper. You're a hypocrite, dude. You just told me to be concise. Now you told me to be... Uh, So extemporaneous. I remember one time I got a paperback. I had a good grade, but he says, you are so sermonic. I didn't know sermonic was a word. In other words, you tell me to write 20 pages, I'm going to get pretty sermonic. You know what I'm saying? But here's what I learned. They said, summarize your message in one sentence. Sometimes I still do this. Sometimes I don't. Because I like to give you a lot of the Word of God. But today I'm primarily sticking here in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to give you the whole message. And after I give you the sentence, we're going to take another offering and we're going to go to lunch. We're going to beat the Baptist to lunch today. I'm teasing. I'm not going to let you off that easy. I've worked long hours in preparation and study and wrestling with the Holy Spirit trying to say, God, But I want to give it to you. Write it down. I want you to draw me a little pretty box or something. If you look at my notes, See? Yeah, you're saying, it means something to me. Here's a statement. Left behind, but not left alone. Left behind, but not left alone. That's the thrust of today's message. Heard the story one time, and I've seen it happen to others. There was this family that they were traveling across country and They had, I guess they needed to go to the restroom and saw a DQ. You know, DQ is always a good place to stop, isn't it? Baskin Robbins or something. Got to have some ice cream. You know, when you drive. Have you ever noticed when you go around water to the beach, to the lake, you eat more? And when you drive, you always want to eat? I think I just want to always eat anyway. But so they're driving down the road and they stop in at a DQ. Everybody gets out and they're getting their order and they all load back up. And they didn't count. I learned that in student ministry. You always count to make sure you take away the same amount that you brought to a place especially when i used to tra- travel with four and five trailway buses hauling teenagers all over the country i had counters on every bus we had to take a, make them like, take a little accounting test before they got on staff no not really they probably needed to but here it is so th- this little boy he's sitting there and he looked up and he saw his mom and dad drive off and he's in there the ice cream counter ordering he went up to this man and said hey sir could you help me my mom and dad just left And the man said on purpose well, no no hey man i don't know but hey help me help me and he got him out of line The man got in the car and he ran there and they jumped in the car and they drove down and he drove up right beside his mom and dad and his dad looked over and said hey that looks like our son and it was the point is he got left behind the the greatest story i remember about being left behind was here at this church oh i remember it so vividly little boy's name was joseph i'll call him joseph and uh joseph um that day he came to me. and said, pastor Keith, pastor Keith. I said, "What?" he says, I can't find my dad. Have you seen him? And I said, well, let's go see him. And I walked around. The, our building's not that big. So I walked around. I couldn't find him. I went to the phone and I called, I said, Hey, Joseph is here with the pastor. Uh, where's uh, where y'all at? And the wife went, uh, he he's, he's with his dad. I said, Oh no, he's not. He's standing here with me. And about that time the dad walked in they had serious. I did marriage counseling for the next twenty minutes as they were talking about who left their son at church. But the boy got left behind. But the little boy told me this. He goes, he came up to me later. He goes, Have you on my dad yet? I said, No, but your dad will be here shortly. He says, Keith. He says, My dad plays hide and go seat really, really good. <laughs> I don't know if he ever lied, if he lied to him or ever told him the truth, but he got left behind. Well, here's the good news. Jesus is not leaving us behind. He does leave us behind for a while. He left the disciples behind. He says, "But oh guys, be encouraged because you're not alone. I'm going to give you an advocate. I'll give you a helper, but we'll get there in a moment. So here's his story, and he begins to say, "Left behind, but not left alone. Do you ever feel alone?" is a penetrating, disturbing question. You're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're broken. You're with I don't know where you are, but have you ever just felt left alone? It can be very tough. You've been left alone by a spouse. The spouse decided they were going to bail, and they bail, so you're left alone. The loss of a loved one, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, they leave you alone. It's, it's just its unnerving. But do you feel alone? It's, it's a horror. It's a panic that sets in. But here in this thing, number one, I want you to write it down. Jesus promises a future. He's a God of the now, but he's a God of the present, and he's a God of the forever and ever, and he's a God of the future. I'm grateful for that. And Jesus promises a future to these disciples. You know, Rich Mullins, that great songwriter that penned Awesome God in so many songs. He talked about a house, a song one time called Many Rooms. And there used to be a song in the early days where you sing to the girls in my there's a big, big house. I'm not going to sing it to you. That's about all I know. Okay. But God's got a big, big house. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad because here in, in the part of the Middle East there in Capernaum, there was a rich, uh, today there's an archaeological ruin of a home. And in this home, this mansion, takes up a city block. It's like in our city and other cities, the big first churches, sometimes they will occupy entire blocks. They're massive edifices. And there in Capernaum today, we could walk down the streets and we could see this block extended over the centuries, dismantled, but rocks. And you could see some corridors and some halls. And and, and, and in that day, they would have families and they would get larger and they would take more and more people. And they would just knock down doors and and they would extend walls and it would get bigger and they would add more rooms for the families so all could stay on the campus. Well, Jesus... When I think about his earthly life, I don't want, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Jesus was a carpenter and he built with his hands. And spiritually, did you know Jesus is a carpenter because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Are you grateful for that today? Let me tell you how awesome that is. At our house, we we have to replace windows in wood. The paint is pitiful. It, you know, I found that I paint more today than I've ever painted because the paint has no lead. And you're saying, oh, but pastor, you should have a house like mine. It's maintenance-free. Pfft, I don't even like you now, okay? Well, mine's not. I get there with a brush and I paint it. And, 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 you, and you paint and you, and you have to work on it. And I've learned something. I'm excited about it. In heaven, we have a maintenance-free mansion. Oh, that ain't exciting you. I want to go. I was just asking Jesus this week, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's biblical. And when you get fed up and you get tired and Hey, I love you and I love the church and I love people. But sometimes you're like, Lord, just come. Um, This is, there's a house metaphor here. He says, one day I'm going to remodel the planet. I'm going to take disease and suffering out. It's going to be a beautiful thing, but in my house, there's room there for you. Oh God, you're building the, the songwriter says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You see, when you and I get clutched and we hang on to the things of this world, we don't want to go home. I remember years ago at Faith Radio, Gary Hunley was a wonderful man there. He used to fill in and preach for me. And I remember at the end of Gary's life when he was struggling with cancer and it was terminal. He goes, Keith, I'm just getting homesick. I'm just a little homesick. I'm ready to go home. And I remember when I got that call and Gary had made it home, I went hallelujah. Jesus had prepared a home for him. As fragile as life is, no more terrorism, no more destruction. There's a home. It's eternal in the heavens. See, there's, God's always had a tent people. God's always had people moving through the Old Testament. You just see God's in the tents. And we're in the homes. We're in the permanence, we think. But I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians. Turn there quickly with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to what the writer says. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Now, you see, I I get excited about that. We have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens. You're saying, are you doing a funeral? Did you forget you're talking to us? Well, this is the hope of a believer, of those that follow after Christ, that our body is a frail tent, our earth suit just fades away when you're born and you think you're living and you're growing and you are developing you're dying we're in the land of the dying on the way to the land of the living says Chuck Swindoll and I couldn't agree more Where well, we shall never ever die but in John fourteen six, it's it's a common passage Jesus says they ask well how will we know the way he says oh but Jesus says I, I know the way I am the way I'm the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me when they've had their sins forgiven. See, heaven is a real place. You put your trust in Christ. See, Jesus goes to prepare a place. Are you rejoicing in that, church? Body of believers, are you thrilled that Jesus has prepared a place for you? Man, no rot, no decay, no mortgages, already been paid in full, no foreclosures, no short sales. We talk about paid up, baby. It's awesome. That's what it says in the Greek. And Jesus, not really, but a little uh, liberty there. Jesus goes there. Randy Alcorn, the great writer, wrote about heaven. He wrote about the, the book, The Treasure Principle. Good writer. He says, Jesus didn't say, I go and prepare an indescribable realm devoid of physical properties where your disembodied spirit will float around and nothing feels familiar. No, Jesus is building a place for you and for me. I'm grateful for that eternal home. One writer says, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I want you to hear that. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Those that die in Christ, those that are living in Christ, those that abide in Christ, they're prepared and they make it into heaven because of the righteousness and the sacrifice and the atonement. In the personal receiving of Christ as Savior and Lord and Master, they go to heaven. But look at John 14, 12. Move there quickly. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Jesus says, guys, I'm not going to stay here and wash your feet anymore. you got to do, like you, you do that yourself. I'm going to my Father. But you are going to do greater things. And there's so much erroneous teaching on this. Like, what does that mean? Are we going to do greater things than Jesus? Here's what I think it says. Jesus chose to limit himself while on this earth in human form. He chose to work in a place at a time, but after he ascended, after he left, he says, I'll send another. And We're going to get there in just a minute, John. So now he can be in millions of places and he chooses to be there through our hands, through our feet, through our voices, through our eyes, through our ears. He just does great things. And we are the body of Jesus Christ. I just go, Lord, inner healing, salvation, deliverance, his marriage is healed. Marriages restored, the dead raised God, great things. But here's what I think, millions come into Christ because of technologies, because the languages have been translated into so many vernaculars that had never been spoken 5, 10, 20 years ago. I remember hearing about the Jesus film the first time years ago when it came out. I remember watching it. It was very powerful. But you got to remember, I've still, I'm a Westerner. I know all about Jesus. I've read the books. I've read the Greek. I know all this stuff. But I heard about the one country... They said they walked into an area and they got a big sheet and they got a projector and they ran off a generator because there was no power and they showed to Jesus them. It says Jesus was the great one, the authoritative one, the disease healer, and he began to perform the miracles. And they said the tribe ran for the screen just to touch Jesus because they never heard something so great or seen something so great. And thousands upon thousands today, millions upon millions have come to know Jesus Christ because of the Jesus film. What a great work. But, you know, we live in this world, in the Western world, and we're inoculated. We got, man, we got Bibles. We got Christian radio. We got Christian TV. We hear it, hear it, hear it, and sometimes we don't act on it. And Jesus just here, he, he just has this force. And I know this, Jesus is not so impressed with what I can do or what you can do, but he's impressed with what Christ can do in you and through you. Christ is not impressed with us, folks. He's impressed with his work in us as he works. I like, um, we we want to please, we want to bless. I remember as a kid, I always wanted to bless my dad. I wanted his blessing. I don't want my dad to go, son, you did a good job, man. This is awesome. I am pleased. And he used to go to the Little League ballpark with me. And he'd watch and he would count me. as I was a pitcher. as I would throw strikes and strike somebody out. Dad would go, one, two. He, he would count. Oh, and I loved it when I had a good game because my dad would Or give me accolades or take me for ice cream or something. I don't know. It was just fun. And you know, all my life I've wanted to be blessed. I wanted to please my parents. And I lost my mom when I was nine and my dad in my 30s. And two years before we started Christ Community, dad died. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked through this building and I sense that he overlooks from heaven. But I never walked the halls of this church and I've never got to say, Dad, are you pleased? Are you blessed? I remember he was around when I became a pastor. He was thrilled and he rejoiced. And I've always wanted the blessing. And for you, you want the blessing of your dad or mom, probably. But let me take it to the next level. How much more do you want to please Jesus? Your mom and dad might be dead. Your mom and dad might not give you the blessing. Your mom and dad might not ever want to say they're pleased with you. But I will assure you, Abba is pleased with you when you follow his son and you hear his voice. And this morning, Christ... It's just saying, hey, are you blessing me? Are you pleasing the Father? Are you obeying me? John 14. I don't have time to do all the text, but Jesus, if we love him, we will obey him. I love that. We will obey. Love is the highest cause here. It's not rules. It's not legalism. We just obey. We we bless. It it elevates. I think about when uh, the girls were young and, uh, you know, uh, our Otis, she, you could threaten to discipline her if she had a little wrong behavior. And she start crying before I got there. <laughs> I didn't even touch you, child. I know, but it's going to hurt. And I only whipped her a few times because she really, she just didn't need it. But see, God gave me a dog first. And uh, don't, don't write me letters. I love animals. Okay. I don't need it. But I got a dog. And I remember kind of a, kind of a puppy, a little past puppy stage. And I remember one day I came in and I said, What's wrong with you? I said, Man, I had to whip the dog. She said, Oh my goodness, what kind of parent are you going to be? And uh, I said, Well, I just hurt. I, I didn't want to. Well, then he started chewing the house and was no problem whipping the dog after that. And, uh, but then when Rachel got a whipping, it was tough. Then Hannah came along. She decided it was worth the whipping. And, uh, but the bottom line is here's, here's the point I'm trying to tell y'all you discipline because you discipline those you love, do you not? But obedience comes out of love. When you love somebody, they obey you. Oh, God, I want to obey you. But look, look at the second one quickly. He promised me a friend. Oh, this is the crux of the matter. He promised you and I a friend. Jesus says, I will give you a friend. He's real. He's not a force. He's a person. He's one of the persons of God. He's the Trinity. He's the tri-Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I will give you a friend, and each day this Holy Spirit will be with you. And I've been praying as I pray every day, come Holy Spirit and have your way. Come Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and touch people in this room and minister to their needs. And John 14, 16 through 17, listen to the New Living Translation. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him. It doesn't recognize Him, but you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. In the Greek, you begin to track it down. It says, and another, another means of the exact same kind. It's not Jesus, it's different, but it's of the same kind. It's the Holy Spirit. It's it's the Godhead. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate, a comforter, a helper. Those are all roles of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to come. And he says, and and now I'm gonna leave. I'm not gonna be in the room. I'm not gonna be washing the feet anymore. But I'm gonna, when I ascend, I'm gonna. Send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon all believers and he's going to seal them and he's going to mark them against the day of redemption in Christ. But don't stop there, friend. Be filled. Do not quench the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit continually. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. We'll talk about that in just a moment if we get there. But what's the thought today? I leave you behind. You're left behind, but you're not left behind, but not. Isn't that a great feeling? We're not alone. Hey, when Let's be honest, for you girls, y'all probably do it more than guys, but when you were little, you slept with a little Snuggie with a little animal. And I remember giving that little animal to Jerry this summer when he uh, was marrying our daughter. But I, I remember some people have little ones and big ones, but you have something because, you know, you need something to kind of wrap up with and you don't want to be close to it. But, you know, you don't want to be alone. Well, let me tell you something far greater than an animal, a stuffed animal or whatever, is the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He he comes upon us and he says, you will get abandoned in this world, but you're not alone because I'm with you. I've got a question today. Does God leave you when you mess up? No, God does not leave. Now you mess up the fellowship. I'll give you that. The communication, the conversation is not very joyful, but God is an ever present and all purposing securing God. And he does not leave a believer Isn't that good news church. I'm glad God didn't leave me because I messed up. Now, I don't have great fellowship with him when I sin, and neither do you. But God says, embrace the unconditional love of Christ and embrace his grace. Abide. The Holy Spirit abides in us. He dwells forever. He constantly remains with us forever and ever and ever. He's the spirit of truth. And I want to give this to you today because I think this is so important. He gives us the spirit of truth, and this is critical. Whoever you hear, anytime you hear me preach or teach, or any Bible teacher, or you somebody on TV or radio, or you're listening to a podcast, I don't care who it is, I want you to do something. I always want you to check it out against the Word of God. And, and, and Jesus says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, and He will lead you into all manner of truth. Here's the cool thing. We have a biblical teacher. His name is the Holy Spirit. And He gives us checks. And sometimes when you hear something that's erroneous or something that doesn't check with your spirit, man, go check it against the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth and life to you, and he will lead you in the way of everlasting life. Isn't that good news? The teacher. You know, it takes some of the pressure off of me. I I prepare, I try to give it the best I can, but I know ultimately the job is the role of the Holy Spirit. He's my friend. He's your friend. The promise is the Holy Spirit is for you, said Jesus. And he lives with us now and forever. He'll, he'll be with us. He'll, he'll lead us in all manner of truth. So Romans 8, 25 to 27, write it down. It says the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. Do I have any candidates for weakness today? Well, of course I do. We're weak in all kinds of places. If we're not, we're full of pride and arrogance. We need to repent. And when we're weak, the Holy Spirit fills in, and the Holy Spirit governs, and the Holy Spirit guides, and the Holy Spirit directs. In this, the Holy Spirit is the promise of the divine presence of God. Oh, God, thank you for your presence. You come to dwell in the heart of all that call upon the name of Jesus. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The work of the Holy Spirit is for him to show us how to love. People ask me all the time, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Well, you know you have the Holy Spirit because Jesus told you you do if you have his son. Well, how else do I know, brother? What? Uh, manifestations what evidences, and we could debate that theologically for years but let me tell you this jesus said it one day simply this way they will know they were my disciples by the way they love one another when the holy spirit really shows up and he takes residence in a life you love people differently than you ever have the first fruit of the spirit is love so here it is chapter 14 verse 17 The world at large cannot accept the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit teaches us. I just said that. Verse 26, he reminds us of the the words of Jesus. Thank you for that memory. 16, verse 8, he convicts us of sin. 16, 14, he brings glory. He brings honor to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always points to Christ. He reflects Christ. Christ pushes, points, exalts the Father. Oh, the Godhead, it, it works. It's like... The third point, I want you to see this. He promised me family. God says, I'll give you a helper. I'll give you an advocate. I'll give you a teacher. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. But now I'll give you family. And the family is the family of God. Isn't that awesome? How many of you are grateful for the family of God today? The family of God. Sometimes I need hands and feet and ears. I need somebody to touch me. I need somebody to cook me a meal. I need somebody to serve with me. I need somebody to help. And so do you. I know when they were building the San Francisco Bridge, I've been there a few times. It's a magnificent structure there in San Francisco. This massive span. And there was at least one or several that lost their lives and they decided to build this apparatus of a safety net and it caught some 19 people that would have plunged to their death in the building of the San Francisco Bridge and they were saved. They were rescued. Here's the point I want to make today that I think is helpful. God wants to give us a relational safety net. It's called the body of Jesus Christ. It's called the church. It's called hanging out with each other. In John 15, 2, he says, love each other as I've loved you. Listen, help, encourage, give, support each other. John 15, 17, love each other. This world will hate you. It will persecute you, but you're ordered by Jesus. Love one another. 14, one, let your heart not be troubled. Even though betrayal, denial, and departure is coming, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. Here's a practical word. Join a band, a small group of believers. Join a small group. Do life together. I say that every way I know how because I think in there there is strength. And in that small group, you experience the warmth of community. Once you've experienced the love and the community of the saints, you won't want to go back to living church as usual. Jesus there in the upper room, as I keep pointing to, Dinner with 11 guys. But in that short instructional time, Jesus would give them something. He would instruct them. He would tell them that, guys, you've got a mission. You're going to change the world. I believe in you. My confidence is in you. And here it is at the bottom. Fill it in. My response is basically this. Choose to trust Jesus. Just choose to trust in Christ. 14.1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. John 14.6. I love it. It says, I am the road, I'm the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him. You've even seen Him. And one day we shall see Him as He is. But Eugene Peterson in John 16, verse 33, in the message, I'm going to wrap it up with this. He says, Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all this so that trust in me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace in this godless world. You will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart for I have conquered the world. You know, that's the hope of the gospel today. And somehow I'm praying that you realize that um, you're not alone. You're left behind, but you're not left alone. And this morning, the Lord Jesus is trying to draw near and the Holy Spirit is knocking and he comes to meet you where you are. You feel abandoned. You feel neglected. Let me tell you, friend, in Christ, you'll never be alone again. For I go to my father and I prepare a home for you where there are many mansions. Are you prepared for that place? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for the passion and the power of the gospel And for somehow, Lord, we can take familiar texts from the Gospel of John and we can see new insights and revelation. And we can see that you have given us a companion. You've given us a friend, a teacher, a helper, the blessed Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Come and move in this place and convict people of their sin. And may they see Jesus Christ today. I pray right now that maybe you need to respond to Christ and you need to call upon the matchless name of Jesus And ask Him to be your Savior and Lord. Would you call on Jesus and He'll meet you right where you sit. Maybe you're that person today, you say, Keith, I'm already saved, I'm in Christ. But I seem to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't seem to have much of Him. You seem to talk with authority today, with confidence. I want to know Him in that way. I'll pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me with power like I've never known. Come and be my teacher, Holy Spirit. Be my friend and helper and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and show me how to love others with the love of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's God's.